Blog Talk Radio. While you're strolling down the fairway, showing no remorse, growing from the poison they sprayed on your golf course. While you're busy thinking birdies and keeping your scorecards, the devil's been busy in your backyard. Toxic waste Where you gonna hide it Good evening, and welcome to the Truth Squad with Marty Oakley and Barb Peterson, where we will be talking about things that the mainstream media wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. This show is sponsored by the PPJ Gazette and Aggie the Traveling Agrobacterium. You don't want either one showing up in your backyard. To find out all you want to know about current events and GMOs, visit the PPJ at ppjg.wordpress.com and Aggie at aggie.farmwars.info. And now, on with the show. Good evening, everybody. This is Marty Oakley. And Barb Peterson. Welcome to the Truth Squad. This is going to be a really good show this week. Um, We have Cassandra Anderson from MorphCity.com coming on. And Cassandra has done some extensive research into the uh, situation with the attempts to seize control of water and ownership of water by state and national governments. And she'll be talking about that and other things regarding Agenda 21 depopulation and the spread of the so-called sustainability movement. Cassandra is really uh, quite informative and uh, well worth listening to. Uh, this next week, uh, it's going to be just Barb and I because we want to discuss S510. I've been going through the bill, and the original bill that came out was uh, – just brief as bills go because, you know, they like to drag them out to 1,000, 2,000 pages. But this one was under 50 pages, and originally this thing said repeatedly it was the implementation of Codex. It was to facilitate Codex, to come into compliance with Codex Alimentarius, and that's all been stricken from it. In fact, uh, the piece of legislation that's in front of the Senate now, S-510, the first 104 pages of the bill reintroduced have been struck. Now, that's not necessarily good news. Um, I knew that somewhere in the bill they had to have put something in there uh, regarding um, compliance to Codex. And finally, late last night, I got clear to the back page, Section 404, Compliance with International Agreements. And this says, shall be construed in a manner not inconsistent with the agreements establishing the World Trade Organization or any other treaty or international agreement to which the U.S. is a party. We have been a signatory to Codex Alimentarius since 1992. Um, Basically, what this little paragraph did was it took all of the language out of the bill that would have identified specifically Codex, as was uh, uh, first put in there, and it hid it back in this little, little paragraph buried at the back of this bill. And what this amounts to is that they can't write any law. They're saying that nothing in this law, no regulation they write, can uh, uh, restrict the implementation. 
of World Trade Organization mandates or treaties or international agreements, and what you have to understand about international agreements, which Codex Alimentarius is, these are um, executive, corporate executive agreements. They are not treaties. A treaty has to be ratified by at least three-quarters of the states and voted on. Um, what they are doing is a corporate executive agreement. It's an agreement between the executive of the United States Corporation, the president we call him, and the head of the corporation of another government, another agency, um, acting also as a corporation. And these things are not the law of the land. This is why they have to come in and contract. And this bill says specifically that they will, the, um, the Secretary of Agriculture is instructed to contact the governor of every state and find out what department they want to contract with the USDA, FDA, um, in order to bring their business plans into your state. And, of course, that will come with bag loads of money and big promises of how wonderful everything's going to be. But these are contract agreements. They are not laws. They are not anything we have to abide by. So my suggestion on all of this is, is go after your governor and make it clear to him you don't want anybody with delegated authority empowered to enter into these contracts with the USDA. Um, this is just, I, I'm telling you, this thing is such a backdoor deal all the way around that I can't, I just can't believe it. Uh, Barb, you got anything to say on that? Well, you know, it's typical for the USDA because um, it was just in the news about all those eggs that were contaminated and everything. Instead of going, um, it, it's just, it's a Hegelian dialectic, problem, reaction, solution. Okay, they create the problem by having the um, chickens in CAFOs, which is so horrible in terrible conditions, filthy, that their ovaries get infected with this salmonella. And then that salmonella gets in the egg. So instead of saying, hey, well, maybe this is a bad idea, then no. They want to go ahead and pasteurize the eggs before they sell them to you. So excuse me, the USDA stinks. Well, and that's the, the deal on this, too. Instead of going back and fixing the problem, which is dismantling these CAFO operations, instead of doing that, the, the common sense thing you should do, because we, we're finding out more and more every day that these things pose a serious threat to the, the safety of the food supply in this country, and, and instead of shutting these things down, outlawing them and saying you can't operate this way, you can't keep pumping livestock and birds and everything else full of hormones and antibiotics and vaccines trying to keep them on their feet till you think you've got your money's worth out of them and feeding it to the public. And this and is and five ten will make it worse. Yes it will. Because it does nothing in there. They all get HACCP, um, that self self inspection. We just say we tested and you just accept our results and we go on about our merry business. And uh, this like I say instead of correcting the cause of the problem we're just going to create another problem by saying, oh, we're going to pasteurize eggs. And I think Paul mentioned to me, he said, probably what they're going to want to do is break them out of the shell and put them in cartons and sell them that way like they do milk. There's a disgusting thought. But Oh, I just, uh, hey, I just saw a Google ad, okay? And it came mm -hmm. up when I was um, researching, and it said that we sell eggs pasteurized in the shell. Oh, God. How do you pasteurize yeah. an egg in the shell? I don't know. Isn't it good? Because <laughs> pasteurization <laughs> requires heating to a high degree. Uh, so what, are they selling hard-boiled eggs? I, I want to know. Um, <laughs> I'm not buying any. And um, I mean, we got rogue chickens running around here. I'll follow them and find out where they're nesting up. <laughs> you know, that's all there is to that. Um we're going to go to a little public service announcement right now, brought to you by Armour. And when we come back, we'll have Cassandra with us, and she can take off and tell us what she wants us to know. Be right back. This is a public service announcement. 
hot, dry, and thirsty. Summer got you down. Don't want to be caught without water. Be prepared. Water can be very expensive, and FEMA wants to help. FEMA is now making available to residents of Agenda 21 Human Habitat Containment Areas the official FEMA 2010 Water Rationing Card, which is redeemable at your local retailer for drinking water any time of the day or night for a modest fee. So don't be caught high and dry. Be sure to carry your official FEMA water card with you wherever you go so that you can have access to this valuable commodity without having to pay exorbitant black market prices. Don't be just another dehydration statistic. Have a safe day and don't forget to hydrate. This public service announcement is brought to you by Farmores.info. Any resemblance to reality is purely coincidental. Well, we're back. <laughs> I love those announcements. Um, we've got uh, Cassandra, you're on? Yes, I am. Hi, Marty. How are you? Hi. Hi. Welcome to our little show, and why don't you tell us what you want us to know? Oh, okay. Well, um, do you want to start with the National Ocean Council? Yes. That Sounds good. Fine. Okay. So, uh, and what's interesting about it is Obama, through an executive order, um, created the National Ocean Council, and it will affect 30 states. And um, it's uh, the idea is that, that they're going to implement the law of sea treaty through this executive order, bypassing the congressional or the the method, the constitutional method of ratifying a treaty, which is two thirds of the Senate votes for it. Well, the law of sea treaty, um, LOST, <laughs> is the acronym. Um, it's a United Nations treaty, and um, it's uh, it, it really um, what it amounts to is America will cede over its sovereignty under this treaty to this international organization. And so there's a couple of different parts to it. The, the first part being that um, you know Obama is bypassing the constitutional method of, of ratifying a treaty. That's one. Number two, it's so huge in scope. It's amazing. Um, this uh, this treaty will uh, uh, it's gonna it's gonna be applied to um, the the Pacific Pacific Ocean and the coastlines, the Gulf Coast and the Atlantic Ocean and its coastlines, and the Great Lakes and its coastlines. So it's uh, 30 states. So it's pretty big. Hasn't gotten any national exposure, which just blows my mind. <laughs> and um, yeah. the way that they're doing it is uh, they're breaking it into regions. So the um, uh, what that is, it's, it's actually a communist trick. When you when they regionalize something, um, what they're doing is is redistricting, putting in new jurisdictions, and with a um, with a new jurisdiction. You, it, it edges out local and state governments, so there's new authority that goes with it, and that's what's scary about regionalism. So, doesn't this also include rivers that flow to the sea? Um, yes. I heard that. I didn't find that uh, specifically in the um, in the interim report that I read, but uh, wouldn't surprise me. And the law of sea the law of sea treaty is a stinker. They've I think it was written in the 1970s, and they've been trying to foist it on us ever since then, but they haven't been able to get it through the Senate. So this is the way that they're doing it. And well, if you the want clear to... Con- Act also, the CLEAR Act also covers exactly the same thing. So if they don't 
passed the CLEAR Act because it calls for identically this regionalism and the seizure of these coastlines, the oceans, the seas, the Great Lakes, um, any waters flowing to the sea, and it also overtakes all mining and permitting for gas and oil, uh, takes it away from the state, and with it, the revenues, they'll get like 5% of the revenues off of those, and it will put all of these coastlines under federal control. So what I'm thinking, Cassandra, is that if in lieu of not being able to pass the CLEAR Act, they're going to pass this executive order. Actually, they, they've already passed this executive order, and the CLEAR Act is part and parcel of this. If you look at the CLEAR Act, um, it's linked up on my website to the story that I have there. Um, they mm -hmm. do a portion of the CLEAR Act. They, they've got another council um, that's a smaller one. This is a 24-member council. It's an 18-member, right, so 12 or 18-member council in the CLEAR Act. And so what they're doing is, is they're, uh, it, it's, it's a backdoor way of ratifying the treaty. So you're right. It's, the CLEAR Act is definitely involved in this. But this, this, this yeah. executive order is already done. And I, so it's just, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And, I don't and know. you're right. There's, there's not a word about it anywhere in the news, on mainstream media. The only thing I've seen about it is what you've written, the few articles. Of course, I've been following that uh, Water Restoration Act by Jim Overstar out of here in Minnesota, that came out in 2007, and they've been trying to ram that thing through under various names. And Right, um, the Clean Water it, Restoration Act is, yeah. is nothing but bad news. Yeah, yeah, it's where the federal government owns all the water, and as we spoke yeah. the other day, you were saying the water off your rooftop, you know, everything. Yep. You know, right. and it's like this. If water should reappear in those, they own it. Um, right. I, I tell you, I, I know in 2007, the U.N., uh, under pressure from the European Union, refused to declare water a human right and became very ambiguous and ambivalent about whether it was a right or it was a commodity, a tradable commodity, whatever it was. Well, with the recent report that 900 million people currently do not have clean drinking water or access to water at all in some cases, the UN has finally come out just this last month and said, well, it is a human right. Now, whether that will preclude it from being commodified, I don't know. Well, but, um, I have a, I have something to say about that, if I can jump in for just a second. Sure. Um, the Human Rights Declaration, I don't know if, if you're talking about the Human Rights Declaration, but Article 29 essentially mm -hmm. says that, um, you know, every right that they've given you in this list, this long list, they buried this one down at the bottom, everything that they've given as a human right can be rescinded. <laughs> by the UN, yeah. So that does it matter if they if they call it a human right at that point, you know? Well, you know, and this all works too um, with this thing of uh, uh, the FDA coming out recently and saying that we don't have the right to say what goes in our bodies or choose the foods we want to eat, and uh, and then you see the the BLM moving to seize 10 million more acres, including water rights. And you see states, uh, assuming state governments, assuming ownership and control and eradicating vested water rights and water rights that came with your land. Um, they're, they're wiping all of this out, and they're doing it quietly. Yes. Oh, okay, good. You're on. Cut it off, so I've got to catch up now. <laughs> I I can't I can't hear you. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. I got beeped off there a second myself. I heard um, a dog. No. Yeah, <laughs> I heard yeah, a dog barking. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is. He doesn't bark any other time he waits so I'm on air. Yeah. Well anyway, but uh but what I see in all of this happening in all of this is that there is just a concerted effort not only here in the United States but all over the world. Oh, it's absolutely worldwide. Yeah, and that's yeah. what the IMF Modified is all about. Everything. 
the the, the yeah. IMF in, uh, International Monetary Fund. They're all about loaning money to these poor countries, and then uh, you know making deals when the money or when yeah when the loans can't be paid back to privatize their their resources, their natural resources, and of course the top one is water, and it's absolutely sick. Well, and that's and the thing that's set up under these uh, structured adjustment agreements. Their their plans to make sure they default, and the, the default is if you can't pay this structured adjustment loan we gave you, where we took your land as an asset, and that's the only thing the IMF World Bank will take from anyone as collateral asset is land. And they set these people up so that they cannot possibly meet the payments on these loans. They default. The UN sweeps in with the IMF and World Bank seizes their land, particularly agricultural, and uh, flings the door open for these damn corporations like Monsanto, Syngenta, ADM, all of them to run in the door and exploit them. And um, so everything is set up against you. The worst part of this is, Cassandra, is that now we have been put in the position where they are doing the same thing to us. Oh, absolutely. You know, when the financial meltdown occurred, I live in California, and – you know they they say we're 29 billion dollars in the in the red and so they're selling off assets you know and, and gee isn't it convenient that they're doing that just as things uh land and resources or land and and uh um utilities and things like that because of the meltdown they're at a fire sale price i mean it's working out perfectly as if it were planned <laughs> yeah, oh gosh there's a thought there's a thought. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. Ed, the only person paying the price on any of this are, are the everyday people out here, the people that uh, were at the head of and orchestrated this meltdown. Uh, when did you ever see anybody allowed to go in front of Congress, other than politicians and crooks, and get to fudge answers to questions, pretend they don't know, feign ignorance, or they didn't know about that, or they weren't party to that, and they got to walk away with all the goodies. They they got to keep everything. They left that Senate hearing, and they went home in their limo to either their penthouse or their little palatial estate. And all of the stuff that it was known that they stole, all the loot, they got to keep. And then we gave them some more. And these people are not uh, not the least bit remorseful. Our government is not remorseful. Um, personally, I don't see we could have been in any worse shape. Um, if we had, in fact, just uh, let them fold. Oh, well, that's, you know, that's what Ron Paul was calling for. And, you know, let the banks go. You know, let these be too big to fail. I don't believe it. Let them fail. Yeah. Well, and why are the banks too big to fail, but the American public isn't? Well, because the banks are, well, you know, it's by design. So, you know. Well, we're on the hit list. Right. Yeah. That's true. We're not important. We don't count because we're the serfs. You know, these are the guys with all the money and all the all the power, and they don't look at us as humans. They look at us like ants, and, you know, if they step on a few, what the heck? There's too many ants around anyway. Go ahead and get out the raid. <laughs> and that raid just happens to be Monsanto's GMO pesticide. It's Roundup ready, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spray them with a big old can of Roundup Ready. We'll get them. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, can I can I pop in for a minute and talk about uh, United Nations uh, non-governmental organizations? Because this is you talk about whatever you want to, Cassandra. Oh, thank you, Marty. Yeah, um, the you know people think that these environmental organizations are are so philanthropic. They're so great. They're doing such good work. And I give you an example. Uh, Earth Justice, for instance, is a United Nations accredited non-governmental organization with consultative status, and they came out of the Sierra Club. And what's interesting is is they were um, on this uh, GMO sugar beet case. They 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 were uh, represent, attorneys representing the farmers, and um, a couple of things. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it's like okay, so so they're fighting biotechnology, yet they're U- United Nations accredited. Well, what is the United Nations? 
um, isn't the the Food and Agriculture Organization and the World Health Organization aren't they intent on implementing Codex Alimentarius? You know, and they're yep. pushing. The United Nations is pushing biotechnology, and the World Trade Organization, another UN agency. You know, they've set it up so that um, uh, you know they bent the rules so that uh, uh, GMOs could pollute worldwide. So they, well, they're no, you know, it's, they're, they're no friend if it's a um, a UN accredited non-government NGO, non-governmental organization. In my opinion, we were. We were- we were just talking yep. about this in the, the lead-up here. Um, I've been going through S-510, and in the original bill, as I said, it, Codex Alimentarius was named outright several times through the original uh, bill that was written, as that bill being the implementation of Codex, compliance to Codex, Codex um, facilitation of Codex. That's all been wiped out. Uh, well, because enough people know what that is. <laughs> but, but it's absolutely part and parcel of what they're pushing. It's not a horse. It whinnies, it has hooves, you ride it, but it's not a horse. We didn't say it was a horse, so it's not a horse. Right. So back in Section 404, clear at the back of this new bill, is compliance with international agreements. And it says, nothing in this amendment shall be construed in a manner inconsistent with the agreement establishing the World Trade Organization or any other treaty or international agreement to which the U.S. is a party. And we are a signatory to Codex since 1992. So through this one little paragraph, what they've done is thrown the door open so that all of these things will be adhered to. We can't write any laws protecting ourselves. We can't establish any regulations saying, no, we won't implement Codex. This is the implementation of Codex, the Transatlantic Harmonization Agreement, all these other agreements they've entered into. And as I told Barb, they are executive agreements, corporate executive agreements. These are not treaties. And the only way they can get in your state and this says right in this bill that the Secretary of Agriculture is instructed to contact the governor of your state and to find out which office or agent he wants to handle the contracting with USDA to allow him in the door. Uh, you know, Sandra? That's, that's a, I have, uh, there's a couple of good points there. The first one being you said 1992. That was the year that Agenda 21 was introduced. Which yes. you may know, yeah. And so it's it's all that uh, Agenda 21 is the overall blueprint for depopulation and totalitarian world government control. So, and you know, Codex Elementarius is certainly part of that. And then the second comment that I'd like to make, if I may, is um, that it, this stuff cannot be implemented without uh, state and local governments voluntarily giving up their power. That's exactly right. That's exactly Which right. Which they basically they're already geared up to do. And well, they're they, already yeah. have been doing. They're used to doing it. They're used to giving away their power to the federal government because they've been bribed. They take the money. That I'm not gonna argue with the, with you on that one, Barb. <laughs> right on. <laughs> well and that's what they do. They first establish the memorandum of understanding and then they come in with the cooperative uh, agreement contract. That's signed, and then that's followed up by cooperative funding, which we commonly know as bribery. And this is the <laughs> only way because USDA and FDA are, are not empowered through the Constitution to even exist to begin with, uh, but they can't enter into agriculture. It's non-positive code and title. Code and title is the international law of contracts at work in our government, and it's corporate contract rules and regulations. And so as non-positive law, it cannot be codified. That's why everything that comes out with USDA, FDA, all these alphabet soup agencies um, is usually uh, sold as voluntary on the federal level. And just like you said, Cassandra, then they go in and contract with the state, and the head of whatever agency in the state signs that contract is listed as the chief executive officer of that corporation. And so it's a private contract between private corporate entities, but they will foist it onto the states and say that it's mandatory that you have to comply. 
Well, it's interesting that you say that because I've been looking at the governors of a number of different states and their cap-and-trade programs, and I'm working on an article right now. It won't be ready for probably another two weeks. But uh, there's a memorandum of understanding, and the, what happened was the UNFCCC, uh, which is the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, um, they, that, that was a treaty, and that, that was signed. It was voluntary, but the Kyoto uh, Protocol would have made uh, certain things mandatory, and that's what they're moving toward, and they won't even call it a treaty because people know that these international treaties are bad. So they, they, they skirt around calling it different names. Well, and that's the thing, too. It, it, there's always this language play, this twisting of words um, under the premises IB program brought out as uh, voluntary by USDA. Premises, there again, is from uh, international law of contracts, and it is different than property. Property signifies right under the Constitution, protected by the Constitution. Premises is international law and you oh, have so no they right. just uh, interchange those words then yeah and they do this uh-huh. all the time like treaty for agreement people think it's the same thing people a lot of people originally thought premises and property were the same thing they are not in the law they are two entirely different things one is protected the other isn't yeah very interesting and since you brought up the usda let's not forget that they that they're business partners with monsanto and they co-own the patent on the terminator seed or ter- terminator gene, which makes the mm-hmm. seed, seed go sterile after uh, the harvest. So, so yeah. in, in traditional farming, you guys know this that you know you can the farmer can collect seeds after the harvest and replant them the next year. Well, these seeds would be sterile, therefore they'd have to buy more seeds, or the um, the owners of the the, the seeds can. Um, uh, actually perpetrate a manufactured famine. Yes. You know, that's what I have well, been thinking about because um, right now they're not using the Terminator seed, but they don't have a patent to not use it. So right now they're using the other seeds and, the, you know, where they actually will produce a viable seed. But what happens when all this contamination takes place and we've got everything in the wild contaminated. And then they introduce a terminator seed. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, the terminator seed has not been commercialized yet. That's correct. But it started on its tracks toward that, mm-hmm. that end. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's just incredible. I think we have someone else on the line here. Is that John? Apparently not. Okay, go ahead. Um, well, th- there's another uh, little component to the, the sugar beet story, too, that um, is interesting. The Center for Food Safety, I haven't been able to determine whether they're a UN uh, non-governmental organization or not, but they've certainly gotten funding from some uh, uh, sketchy sources. The Ford Foundation. Right. Well, they they received $1.75 million from the John Merck uh, Fund. And what's interesting about the sugar beet story is in 2005, the USDA, Department of Agriculture, they deregulated, which means the the sugar beet seed, which means that they made it available to sell and plant. And then from 2006 through 2007, um, it became, it, you know, it it, uh, it sold like crazy because of, you know, Monsanto's business practices where they they slash the price and offer incentives and all these other things to to draw the farmers in. When the farmers don't realize that they that there's this licensing agreement, you know, which ultimately um, has them paying royalties almost in perpetuity because even if they stop planting the seed, it will come up and then they'll have to pay, and that's called a volunteer. Um, and they'll have to pay royalties on that. But what's interesting is, um, so through 2006 and 2007, uh, Monsanto went on a you know crazy selling spree uh, to farmers for sugar beets, and um, it wasn't until 2008 that the Center for Food Safety then they made their move and mm-hmm. supported the farmers in suing um, the 
suing the, the USDA, or Monsanto, I'm sorry. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, it's it's like, well, why did that happen? Hmm, gee, I wonder. You know, and then, if, again, if we go back to Codex Alimentarius and look at the bigger picture, um, you know, it's it's once it's once it's ingrained in the culture, you know, and and it's uh, you know the claiming economic necessity because 95% of sugar beets are now GMO. Um, you know, it's it's just really a bad way to go. And, and then getting back to the John Merck Fund and the 1.75 million dollars that the Center for Food Safety, their sister corporation. Uh, accepted that money that went to them not mm-hmm. the center for food safety but one of the one of the actions that they've done is they've petitioned the EPA to take uh uh colloidal nanosilver off the market and it, I'm just wondering is that because the it competes with uh Merck pharmaceuticals is it part of of Codex Alimentarius or all of the above That's well, my they, question you know, too they just came out with um, uh, uh, the um, Lovesa, I think it's called, which is now the pharmaceutical version of omega-3. And it's supposedly it's filtered, purified, but it can make you nauseous, cause flu-like symptoms. Don't take it if you're diabetic and you have heart problems, cause dizziness, and I mean all kinds of... And this is what happens when we allow something that's natural and we... Uh, get benefit from to be taken over by Big Pharma. Uh, we took a perfectly natural, good product with proven results, and we messed it up so bad that now it makes you sick. And um, but take it anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> they might they might come out with a vaccine to to counter yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what I'd yeah. like to do? I'd like to go back to this um, National Ocean Council, if I oh, could, sure. for a moment. Absolutely. And I think people would love to know who the members are. Okay. Well, uh, let's see. <clears throat> just um, if I can just give a little bit of background, um, the, the areas of life that it will affect, the, the biggest ones are uh, commerce and transportation, commercial fishing, uh, the Environment and Conservation, that means Endangered Species Act, and um, let's see, oh, drilling, uh, mining, and then ports and harbors. So here's a list of the characters of uh, who are involved in this. <clears throat> the co-chair is John Holdren, and a lot of people might recognize that name because he's a self-avowed eugenicist. He uh, co-authored the book Ecoscience with jo- uh, John Ehrlich, or Paul Ehrlich, and um you know which advocates uh forced forced abortion and uh sterilization through putting chemicals in water and food so that's the guy who's the co-chair wonderful <laughs> then we, yeah then we have Ken Salazar the secretary of the department of interior and um uh Louis Gomert who's a congressman he said that uh you know that Salazar rejected all of these um drilling contracts on land thus forcing uh the offshore drilling at the deep water horizon and everyone knows what a fiasco that was and that's because Ken Salazar said no you know and, and I think that that was in um those contracts were for Wyoming Utah and Colorado I believe and, and the BLM and, rears its ugly head. Yeah, the BLM is a sub-agency of the Department of Interior, and that's, yeah, not a good thing. <laughs> um, and then we have the U.S. Department of Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack, and, you know, he's just, uh, it's, it's, what, what they've been doing a lot is um, Endangered Species Act stuff, you know, with the U.S. Forestry Service. And again, going back to the USDA, they co-own the Terminator gene patent, business partners with Monsanto. And then here's one that a lot of people don't really know that much about is Lisa Jackson. And she's the the head administrator for the Environmental Protection Agency. And um, a number of months ago, uh, there was uh, what's called the endangerment finding. And essentially what that is is they're saying that uh, carbon dioxide, you know, which we breathe out, that that uh, will endanger uh, the health and welfare of of people and in future generations, people in future generations. 
So because cap and cap and trade, that scheme has failed um, uh, internationally at Copenhagen and um, nationally with the cap and trade pro program. So what this does is it's an 18,000-page document, 18,000 pages of new regulations to curb global warming, and it does include a cap-and-trade scheme. So by okay, so let, yeah, let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. <laughs> CO2 requires 18,000 pages of new regulations, but after 9-11, it was safe to breathe. <laughs> Interesting point, Barb. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to have someone sit me down and explain that to me. You know, the EPA is, you know, so corrupt, and it's, I, I don't even know what to say. You know, but by hook or by crook, they, they want to get this cap-and-trade scheme implemented. Yes, well, I, I would definitely agree with that. The thing is, um, when we had when we talked the other day, Cassandra, we were talking about the Curie trees, and what we started noticing with these contracts uh, that these companies are setting up to plant these Curie trees. And for those who don't know, they're listed on the Global Invasive Species List. And they said, "Oh, don't worry about that because uh, we've genetically altered them." Well, they didn't say they genetically Great. altered them so they wouldn't spread like wildfire. They just genetically altered them so that when they spontaneously appear on your property, they can sue you. And so, uh, but what happens with this stuff is that they they claim that um, somewhere along the line, these trees are somehow going to restore the atmosphere. I don't know how. And they're also claiming that we present, the human population presents this big threat to the world. Maybe we do. Hell, I don't know. But on the other side of it, the fact that we breathe seems to yeah. be bothering a lot of people. Yeah, and, it does. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't think it bothers them so much as they see a way to make a, a profit off of it and um, to, to just, you know, uh, uh, the, the chains of control. Until we well, cease breathing. All, yeah, Correct. So all these yeah, contracts absolutely. are coming in for these trees, and what's listed on the bottom of them is that this qualifies them for so many carbon shares. Now, the, the thing is this. Under cap and trade, um, they are selling carbon credits, all right? And supposedly a smaller company will get the same number of credits as a big giant company. And if the smaller company doesn't use all its carbon credits, it can trade or sell them to bigger polluter. And bigger polluter can go right on polluting. Uh, this doesn't do anything to reduce pollution and emissions. Nothing. So, so these people are in charge of the right, National yeah. Ocean Council. Right. Um, and to make a distinction between... This is where some people get confused. CO2 is not a pollutant. CO2 is good for the atmosphere. And they've labeled it a pollutant, and it absolutely is not a pollutant. It's good for plants. It makes them grow. And That's exactly what they don't want. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, if you want to talk about a real pollutant, like, you know, mercury and water or something, fine. But, but CO2 is not a pollutant. No. You know, that's well, no, it's much worse than fluoride. Didn't you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Drink that fluoride, I, I, but you better not breathe. Yeah, Cassandra, what can you tell us about the movement to end fluoride in water? Oh, well, uh, gosh, I don't know that much about the movement, um, to be honest with you. Um, I know that, that some here in California there's some cities and counties that don't have it, but the rest of the state does. And um, I wish I knew more about how to get rid of it. But, uh, you know, once they implement it, it's, re you know, it's much more difficult to get rid of it once it's in than to mm -hmm. stop it before it comes in. And California right. and, is, and is pretty much a done deal for most of the state. 
Well, and what people don't seem to realize is that fluoride is actually industrial waste. The brand, the type that they're using is industrial waste. It's not even dental grade fluoride. And um, they also never talk about fluoride uh, causing bone cancer, particularly in young boys. Uh, there's a lot of other problems with fluoride, um, brain damage for one thing, and it makes people lethargic and it makes them apathetic. And so I would imagine <laughs> it's it's working Maybe. here in America. Hey, we've got a, we've got a call. Yeah, it is. Here Hi, who have we got? Hello, uh, Marty. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, John. How you doing? Good. Good to hear from you. I have one question. I've been kind of uh, uh, listening, and I, I'd love to have Cassandra on my show as well. But is there a head to this beast that we can chop off? Is it, is it, the, is it the United Nations behind yes. all of this? I know the corporations, and they're all in cahoots. But is, is there a beast, uh, the head of a beast, that we should chop off, go after first? Well, personally, I think getting us out of the United Nations, um, which I think is highly unlikely considering we're building a new $54 billion, that's billion with a B, facility for this outfit, and um, they're building it here on U.S. soil. Supposedly, it's supposed to be the head of the new world government, and that's what they're setting it up for, total surveillance. Um, we've now given over all of our intelligence, our surveillance capabilities to the UN. They're part and parcel of that. And they're the one, as Cassandra said, that came out with this um, Agenda 21 and uh, that, what was the human rights, or the, I can't remember, Cassandra, what was it you were, I think we lost Cassandra. <laughs> They've come out with a lot of things, unfortunately. Oh, no. the, uh... Yeah. You know, uh, and, and just, yeah, we seem to be getting messed up on the wires here again. Um, yeah, I don't know why, because I, I just, yeah, I disconnected I, from my uh, from the show, and I'm just on the radio. I mean, on the phone. Yeah. Okay, I think we got everybody back on again. Uh, but yeah, Cassandra, you there? I got her number up and she's open, but she's not saying anything. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's all coming out of the U.N. And, um, uh, if, unfortunately, our own government is actively uh, trying to implement this new world order thing, the one world government, and what Cassandra was talking about, it, splitting the country up into regions, doing it a piece at a time through legislation. Um, I'm back. Can you hear me? Yeah, oh, you're back. Okay, Hi. great. Yay! <laughs> I got Cassandra. Off. Yeah, did you did you hear what the um, question was? And, um, and uh, yeah, I answered it, but I don't think you heard me. Uh, the Human Rights Declaration, Article 29. Oh. Is that what okay. that that was the question, right? Yeah, that's yeah. what I was talking about. Yeah. And uh, but but through these things, and they're all set up to not just in our country, but every country to take away your sovereignty, to obliterate the nations and have this one government and every country split, split up into regions. Um, the thing Congress might want, want to keep in mind about that is, if, should this ever become a reality, and I think we're very close to it, there will be no need for Congress anymore. We will have basically what amounts to a parliament in each re region. There will be no federal Congress or Senate, and they've already called for this. Um, so basically, I think everybody in Washington is selling us out as fast as they can, making a fast buck mm -hmm. and heading out of the country to some place they think is safe. But um, Or an uh, appointed parliament position, you know, uh, is possible. But, you know, the lieutenants never prosper because um, ultimately because the, the, the people, you know, are resentful. And, and the leaders that put them in place, they don't respect them, and they'll sell them out in a minute. I, yeah, I so you know, back to back to John is like what what I think um, what he was trying to ask is is who do we go after? What do we do? What do we where do we start with this to get where is, you know where is the head where is the head of the beast? Is it's it the agenda, UN? 
It's a no. It's not the UN. It's through the UN, but it's actually Agenda 21, and their their goal is to take uh, this this nonsense, this garbage from global to local. So where do you start? You start locally, and you get that pinned down, and then you work upwards from there. Because to work on DC, it's you know as we've all been saying, you know most of them, all but a handful, are total sellouts. So. Um, you know, if you if you have your sheriff, I don't. Barbie probably saw the Sheriff Tony DeMeo video that I have on my website. Oh yes, it's an excellent article. Yeah, he's amazing. He stood up to the BLM. They verbally threatened him with a, you know, coming out with a SWAT team to take this guy's cattle, so that they could ultimately take a, take the rancher's water rights. And Tony said, well, if you do that, you know, I'm gonna, you're gonna, you know, I've I've told my deputy that she can arrest you. And the deputy came back and said, well. Um, they said that they're going to arrest you, the BLM. And he said, well, tell them to come and get me. I stand on legal constitutional ground. And then the BLM came back and said, well, we're going to show up with a SWAT team. And that this, it, Nevada is so big, and this ranch was hours away, so this was through, through his uh, deputy. But the, um, and she relayed that message to me, and he said, well, tell them to, to, you know, if they bring out their SWAT team, I'm going to be there with mine standing in between them and the rancher. I'm going to protect my constituent. Yeah, it's a great so, you know, we just need people to be educated, the people in power to be educated on the Constitution and to actually stand up for it. Another example is um, uh, with the Endangered Species Act, for instance. In Iron County, they have a so-called problem with prairie dogs, that they're endangered, which, you know, they're uh, just not true. They breed prairie like crazy. Dogs prairie dogs. Yeah. And so what's happened there? is if they find, um, let's say you buy a lot of, this is in Utah, if you buy a lot and they find prairie dogs on your property, you may not be able to build. So who does that go through? That goes through um, either city planning or the county. So that's, that's where you have to start is in the city or the county. And um, I have a story on my website about ICLE, which is the International Council on Local Environmental Issues. See, they, they, they do these terrible, you know, long names, and, you know, it's so boring that, you, in, you, you know, because they don't want you to understand what it is. But ICLE is all about uh, the global warming alarmism uh, issue, and um, global warming always goes hand-in-hand hand with depopulation. So what you do, and it's, it's in 600 American cities, 600. So what you do is you go to your city and county councils, and you say, you know, you educate them, and if they if they don't respond by getting rid of Ickley, you get rid of them. I believe you um, told people in your article where they can go to find out if their um, city is a member. Right. Yeah. It's, it's from Ickley's own link or Ickley's own website, and there's links uh, right after the story. There's a couple of videos. There's one that's fascinating. The first video of this. A scientist from NOAA calling for population reduction at this um, uh, environmental rally, and people cheered. They cheered. It's, it's incredible. And, um, you know, so that just proves the point about uh, global warming and depopulation going hand in hand. So, yeah, it's, it's about educating, but there's at the bottom of the article, there's a number of links. Of you know to find out if your if your city is an Ickley city and even if it isn't, um, you know there's still sustain. Anytime you hear the word sustainability, be thinking Agenda 21. So um, you know these these local governments really need to be educated. And the good news is is you don't have to drive too far. You don't have to to go to fly to Washington D.C. It's right there in your hometown, and you get to face them eye to eye. You know, Cassandra, would you please give us your um, website address? Um, oh, thanks, so people Sure. Write it's down Morph, yeah, it's MorphCity, M-O-R-P-H, like metamorphosis, MorphCityCity.com. And the, the ICLE article is really important. And um, I've, I've uh, worked a lot with Michael Shaw, who's um, really just a wonderful person and has done so much work in this area and there's a number of links about how to stop Ickley in your hometown that's in that Ickley story and I would really urge people to go check it out and find out what's going in their back going on in their backyard you know who want who wants this this nonsense 
You know, it's... Uh, well, you know, the thing I've noticed is all these people that favor depopulation, they only favor it as long as it doesn't include them. Well, that's you know? the beauty of this art, of, of this video on the Ickley, the Ickley story, is he says, you know, we got to do it here in America. So, you know, it just... America is not immune, and people need to realize that. And here's an interesting little factoid that not many people know. The government itself, the EPA, uh, in 2003 estimated that um, only 5%, 5% of America is considered developed, and that means with buildings and roads, 5%. So, wow. Yeah. What do you think of that? <laughs> So, you know, they, they've just locked down all the land through, you know, these regulations, and it's time to take it back. So well, basically, the... so oh, basically yeah, we've got people going into, they want us to get into smaller and smaller areas in cities and then start stacking and packing us, and then we're sitting there running around like ants in a maze going, oh, my gosh, it is overpopulated in here. Oh, oh, oh. And meanwhile, we've got all this land out there. Exactly. That we can't touch. Precisely. You know, they talk about those um, sequestered population centers. And last year when I was in Atlanta, uh, my friend down there drove me to one called Victoria Park. I had never seen one before. And here it sits right on the south end of Atlanta and it, in the middle of just massive urban sprawl. But you pull in through a gated area uh, with a big high brick wall around it. This thing runs for about four city blocks. Um, living is all in the upper levels and on the main ground floor part. It's all shops. There's everything there. There's theaters, bowling alleys, doctors, dentists, plastic surgeons, hairdressers, uh, everything, grocery stores, pharmacies, everything you can imagine. When you drive in, you have to park your car and you can either walk or you can take one of their little carts and drive around, but you cannot take your car inside the facility itself. But it's a sequestered living area. And she said, don't you think this is great? I said, no, I think it sucks big time. <laughs> right, and that's I called said, that's called smart growth. The prairie dogs loose. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's what they call smart growth. And the city planner is the one that's responsible for determining, and this is to prevent so-called urban sprawl. Um, mm -hmm. So the city planner, I talked to Michael Shaw, and I said, who's, you know, who's the person, you know, what's the entity that's responsible for determining that boundary of where a building will occur and where it's off limits? And he said it was the city planner. So if you're asking who the exact person is for smart growth, it's the city planner. And the idea behind smart growth, as you mentioned, the mixed-use uh, uh, buildings, you know, down on the bottom you have stores, restaurants, all, all those types of things. Right. And then stack them and pack them. You know, it's, it's building up instead of out to condense, it, to condense populations even more. And, again, a lot of them are being built without garages because they don't want you to leave the area because it's about control. Exactly. You know, they're trying to get and rid the, of cars. It's about control. On the whole outside wall of this place, there were no windows. Um, once you went in and that gate closed, you were basically in lockdown with no means of escape. I mean, if you wanted to get out of it, you couldn't. And because um, there were no windows on the outside wall for two, sometimes three, four stories. And um, everything, of course, was built contiguously. It was all together and just made this horseshoe-shaped place. And I say this ran for six city blocks, you know, and but it was all on foot, and you could stop and park here, there. I mean, you know, park your butt. Uh, there's tables and chairs, and you were signed saying you were invited to stop and rest and so on and so forth, but it, it looked like a cage to me. Yeah, Gilbert. Virtual right. Yeah, we got about... About one minute left here. Cassandra, I would like to invite you back. You've got a lot to say, and we need to listen to you. So whenever you're available, um, I would genuinely appreciate you giving us a call and coming back on the show. Uh, oh, I would love to. Thank you so much for having me, Marty and Barb, and I appreciate your work so much, and you're helping me to get the word out. Thank you very, very much. Let's say Thank your you. website one more time. It's Morph city.com m o r p h c i t y.com thank you both of you you're just wonderful the work that you do and it's so appreciated
It's well, good to you, have you. you. I say you come back whenever you, you have time and you can spare it for us because we'd love to have you. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to see uh, Cassandra's articles also on InfoWars, or InfoWars, um, FarmWars.info, and also on the PPJ. And um, this is this has been a great show. I, uh, Cassandra, I, I just can't thank you enough. John, thank you for calling in. We got 10 seconds, guys. Adios, arrivederci, and all <laughs> Thanks, that Marty. Stuff. Thanks, Barb. <laughs> we'll talk, talk to you, you again. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody.